know, God is good. We are not. But when we ask God, he gives us good things. Now, this all comes from a teaching in Matthew chapter 7, which we're going to study in about five minutes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And we are studying a book you may not be familiar with. It's called The Bible. The 66 books written by the 40 authors over 1,500 years, all with the same theme. Corey is helping us. And Ryan, Corey. Today, we are taking a look at the Sea of Galilee and the remains of villages and cities on its shores. Ryan? Today, my segment is all about Matthew, one of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ and the human author of the gospel that we're currently reading. All right, very good. As we continue with the three teachings today, what did you do, Jen? Today, my segment is called Action Required. All right, very good. Now, this is all coming up in the next half hour. So get your Bible guide out, follow us, and turn to today's passage. If you don't have a Bible guide, stay there. We'll show you how you can get one. Matthew 7, 7 through 20. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits." Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 20. Matthew chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9 as we continue going through God's wonderful word on this day. One of the greatest ways Jesus Christ showed himself as God was through his teaching. There are three things that we can learn by reading the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 7, 7 to 20. The first is how we treat each other, and he called it the golden rule. What you desire men to do to you, do for them. The second is a look at reality. The path to follow Jesus Christ is not easy or wide. 
It's a path that is a narrow one and takes work. And we need to remember the truth. The final lesson here is a warning that there are false prophets and that we can know them by their fruits. What does that mean? Well, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, we see a list of the works of the flesh. And then in Galatians 5, 22, we see the beginning of the fruit of the Spirit listed. Here it is, quote, But the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now we can know a false prophet by the behavior in their life. That's true. So this is very interesting today as we continue to study God's wonderful word. Now, take your Bible guide and turn with me. And if you don't have one, you know the drill. Call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go there, we'll show you how things uh, work and we'll send you a guide. But when you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, it'll take you to a page. You can download these three teachings and follow us. Just a few verses here, 7 through 20. Chapter 7 is do not judge others, effective prayer, the golden rule, the narrow gate, the tree and its fruit, the true disciples, building a solid foundation. All of that in chapter seven. There's a lot here. Chapter eight, Jesus heals a man with leprosy, faith of a Roman officer. I'll tell you, it, it's really interesting. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in Israel. <laughs> Those are the words of Jesus about this Roman officer. And then Jesus heals many people. Jesus tells us about the cost of following him. And then Jesus calms the storm and Jesus heals two demon-possessed men. And in chapter nine, he heals the paralyzed man. Jesus calls Matthew a discussion about fasting, healing response to faith, and Jesus heals the blind and the need for workers. Now, all of this is covered in this passage. And as we look at chapter seven, these few verses, Let's pray. Father, help us today to listen to your word and to understand what you've said. We're not, you know, we're not going to read into it. We're going to read from it. Change our hearts in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, all of us, amen, or make it so, Lord. All right. Now let's focus on Matthew 7, beginning with verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you, Jesus said. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you, the Lord said. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Now if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you. Now, this, this let me just say this. People stop there. Don't stop there. Look at verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law 
and the prophets. So good or God is good and we are not. But when we ask, God gives to us. Now it's critical for us to see and to hear how God responds to us when we pray. Have you ever thought about that? How does God respond to us when we pray? It's kind of like asking your father for something or asking your mother for something when you were little. How did they respond to you? Tells you much about how they thought of you. And Jesus Christ was saying, he said, listen, if you want to know answers, ask of me and I will give you those answers. A lot of people have taken these scriptures and used them in faith uh, movements to talk about money. But it's not really talking about money. It's talking about a general ask. Very interesting. So this is what we need to remember. Now, keep that in mind and let's go on and read the next passage. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it, which leads me to this point. Following Yeshua HaMashiach is not easy. It is difficult in a sin-filled world, beloved. It is not an easy path. The ways of Christ are different than the ways of this world. Now, when you give your life to Christ, you're going to go against the culture of sin because you changed your life. You had a, a discussion with yourself and you said, well, you know, I don't like sin anymore. And your, yourself said, well, I like sin. And your other self said, well, I don't like sin. That's, that's the discussion. We, we don't encourage sin anymore. We go against sin. That's important for us to know that. And so we allow the Holy Spirit to begin work in our life. That means we change our, the way we do things. You know, we don't go to the bar anymore. We don't do anything anymore. That's crazy. Very interesting, isn't it? All right, let's go on. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. What does that mean? Many are led astray by false prophets and teachers. We will not know who those false prophets and teachers are by, we will know who those false prophets and teachers are by the fruit they demonstrate in their personal lives. Now, a lot of people like to make decisions, you know, like that. Make a decision like that. And you can't. You have to trust the Lord and pray about it and look at their lives and follow them. That's very important. So keep that in mind, beloved. Let's study people from the standpoint of the scripture. And let's look at their life and see if they are consistent with what the scripture says. Now that's something we need to pay attention to today.
this character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Now, a lot of Jesus's ministry happened around the body of water called normally in the Gospels, the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes it's also called the Sea of Tiberias. It was known by a few other names uh, in first century Israel or Judea. Today, we are going to be taking a look at the Sea of Galilee uh, as it exists today. We're going to be taking a look at some of the village ruins that are around it, as well as the ruins of the ancient harbors that have been found, because we see Jesus and his disciples traveling to and fro on the Sea of Galilee to get to other towns and villages and cities. So there obviously were ports to go along with those cities and, and those traveling boats. So let's take a look and see what we can learn. In Jesus's day, the Sea of Galilee was an important body of water utilized for travel, the distribution of goods and crops, and of course, for fishing. Hundreds of different ships would have traversed the waters of this 14 by 8 mile lake, and 15 to 16 ancient ports provided docking points and shelter from storms. The Sea of Galilee is also Israel's only freshwater lake and is the world's lowest geographical freshwater lake. It's also known by the names Sea of Tiberias, the name of an important city in Jesus's day, and the Lake Kinneret. Today, its waters are higher than they were in the first century. This has long been evidenced by the flooding of the ruins of ancient homes and villages that would not have originally been built where they could be regularly flooded by the seasonal changes of the lake. More evidence comes in the form of modern droughts. When drought arrives and the level of the lake recedes, ancient ports and their ruined breakwaters are revealed. The higher level of the lake today is due to a natural change that occurred around a thousand years ago. The main outlet of the lake into the Jordan River was silted up and replaced by an outlet of smaller size that slowly rose the level of the lake, resulting in water that's three feet higher than in Jesus's day. Today, the Sea of Galilee has a large tourist industry thanks to its appearance in the Gospels. Jesus sailed here, taught here, walked on water here, calmed storms, and visited villages and cities surrounding the lake. And now, thanks to archaeological investigation, a lot is known about the harbors where he and the disciples would have docked. Ancient harbors consisted of breakwaters, which were large stone-constructed arms that would extend out into the lake to create an area of still water for ships to be safer from the lake's famous storms. After the breakwaters, piers would be built to moor ships to, and promenades where sailors, travelers, and merchants could walk. Harbors could also have markets for selling fish, areas to repair boats, storehouses, administrative buildings, watchtowers, and even Roman toll stations. We're told in the Gospels that the disciple Matthew Levi worked at a tax booth in Capernaum, which apparently was a popular port for travelers and trade. 
Work at Capernaum has revealed a large harbor with several piers of different shapes and sizes, including long and curved piers and triangular shaped piers. At Kersey, which was known as Gergesa, the site of Jesus's exorcism of demons from a man into a herd of pigs, a large shallow rock cut pool was a part of the ancient harbor. Researchers believed that fishermen would keep their live fresh caught fish in it for sale. At the ancient city of Gadara, breakwaters enclosed an area of three acres and boasted a very large promenade. Some researchers believe that from this harbor, Roman nautical games reenacting naval battles were performed. A lot of diverse finds, as you can see, around uh, the Sea of Galilee on its shores. And that just really goes along with all the diverse things that we read about in the Gospels having to do with the Sea of Galilee. So I hope that as you're reading the Gospels now, now that you have some of this information, that it comes alive as you're reading it and you're able to uh, kind of kind of place it and, and imagine it as it was. And the sea really is, is, to be honest with you, if people were to go there, they would see the other side. They would say, well, this is really a lake. It's a large uh, lake, though. Yeah, exactly. Yes, very exactly. large. But the Sea of Galilee was down mm -hmm. uh, significantly, and there was discoveries of all kinds made in that time. Mm -hmm. Of course, now it's restored. But I was there when it was down. It was fascinating. Yeah. It was it was amazing because you could see, and the we, the docks were high, mm -hmm. and you could see it was amazing. It really, really. It's amazing. a beautiful area of land. It, it's, it really it, is. The Beautiful Galilee. piece of geography in the Galilee. Oh, it's just awesome. Mm -hmm. And I love it. There, so. When I was privileged to go a few years ago, it was my first and only time uh, to Israel. And we were on the shores of Galilee and the tour bus people were over here. And so I walked over to a very quiet spot and sat on one of the rounded rocks there among, there was some long-legged birds that were going in between the rocks, picking up little minnows. And I thought, oh, now I know why Jesus <laughs> loved to walk on these shores and spend time in Galilee. It was it was one of those beautiful moments. You it know, was. Just um, wonderful. So if you ever have the chance to go to Israel, I go. would encourage you to go. It's um it's a very special, very special place. It is, anyway. right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, today to go along with our reading of Matthew, I thought it would be fitting to study the life of the man who penned this gospel. And what makes his testimony so powerful is that he was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he was one of the 12 disciples, but as a tax collector, he was looked down upon in that culture. So when Jesus called him to be a disciple, it was very politically incorrect. This is Matthew's story. Although he is now considered a very prominent figure in Christian history, if we listed the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ according to what society thought of them, at the very bottom, lower than a fisherman, would be Matthew. Why? Because he was a publican. Publicans were fellow Jews who collected taxes from their own people for the Romans and they made their money and lots of it by adding a surcharge on top of the required Roman tax. So publicans were seen as unpatriotic extortionists by the Jews and were synonymous with sinners. So despised were they that many Jews treated them as ritually unclean like lepers. And if that wasn't enough, his money was not accepted as alms and his evidence was not accepted in courts of law. Publicans were truly the ultimate outcasts. That's why one scholar quips that if Jesus had one ounce of political correctness, he never would have called Matthew to follow him. 
Probably no one was more surprised than Matthew himself, who was sitting at his toll booth in Capernaum when he received his call to discipleship. Interestingly, Luke informs us in his gospel that Matthew was not the only prominent publican to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus also holds this distinction. However, Matthew was more than just a follower of Christ. He was one of the twelve disciples, a direct eyewitness to the life of Christ, and almost certainly one of the four evangelists, as church leaders in the AD 100s ascribed the Gospel of Matthew to him. Certainly, he had the credentials to write such an account, which was originally penned in Greek. Although Matthew was Jewish by birth, his duties as a Roman tax collector in Capernaum would have made fluency in Greek necessary as a complement to his Aramaic. Although a fair amount is known about his professional life, his personal details are more sparse. The Gospel of Mark does identify him as the son of Alphaeus, and though he is best remembered as Matthew, a name meaning gift of the Lord, both Mark and Luke call him Levi, which means attached. While no one knows for sure why Matthew was called by both names, Bible scholars speculate that Levi may have been a tribal name, meaning that Matthew may have belonged to the tribe of Levi, and that Matthew was a personal name. Another possibility is that Matthew was his Greek name, while Levi was his Hebrew name. Still others think that Jesus changed his name from Levi to Matthew, or vice versa. As with all the other disciples, save John and Judas, Matthew is honored as a martyr though nobody really knows for sure how he died. What we do know is that Matthew's contributions to the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ were very significant, and his work and dedication has and continues to impact countless souls over the past two millennia. It is no small thing that even though his gospel was probably not the first to be written, it nevertheless is placed first in the New Testament canon. Matthew, though once a corrupt publican, came to saving faith in Christ and lived up to his name, becoming a gift to us all by his faithful witness. So despite his Jewish critics, Matthew greatly influenced the early church. In fact, he preached in Syria, Ethiopia, and Persia, and according to Eusebius, just before Matthew departed to these distant lands, he took time to write the first gospel as a memorial to his Jewish converts. Now, significantly, it's possibly the most widely read of all the Bible books. Now, even though Jesus shocked and offended the culture by taking on Matthew as his disciple, our Lord knew exactly what he was doing. And isn't that just like God? He took a man who was essentially a crook and set him on the straight and narrow path. This should be great comfort for us because no matter our past or our current situation, just like Matthew, God calls us to follow him and he gives us a new life and a new purpose, an eternal life and purpose. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. That is outstanding, Ryan. Very good. Janice? And that, Ryan, is where my segment focuses. So it's a great segue because my segment is called Action Required because there is action required. Did you hear what Ryan said? God called Matthew. God calls you and he requires a response. We need to take action. And in this chapter that we're, that we're focusing on, on our teaching today on the program in Matthew 7, we see a section here and Jesus is saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. And, and it's such, it's such a, an imploring thing. Ask and seek and knock. And we hear him later on in the scriptures when he's asked about what's the greatest commandment. And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and 
and you know he goes on to talk about these other things but it's the asking and the seeking it's the coming to god it's an action that's required and jesus offers you the gift of salvation the gift of eternal life but you and i both know that if i give a gift or if you give a gift to me i have a choice of whether to just sit and admire that gift and say well isn't that a nice gift i wonder what's inside or isn't that thoughtful that somebody gave me that gift until I take that gift and make the motion to open it, to receive it, it's just, it's just an item. I have to make that decision. And so I, I just wanted to say today that, that is our, it, our relationship with God needs to be one of action. Like any human relationship will suffer if we don't put care into it. Likewise, our relationship with our heavenly living Father in heaven will suffer. We will wander away. God is always close, but we can wander away. The things of this life can draw us away. Distractions can draw us away. Those are the things that we call idols. They're not just a form that we make and put over here. An idol is anything that will take our attention away from God. And that can be ourselves as well. That can be our family. We always need to have God centerpiece in our thoughts and in our lives. It's very, very important. That's why we believe and encourage you to read the Word of God every day, because we do believe that it is the Word of God to us. And we need to not just read it, but get it into our hearts. And not just let it sit in our heart. We need to live it in our lives. We need to share it with other people. Because if you found something, some wonderful treasure, wouldn't you want to share that? Wouldn't you want to announce that to other people? It's the same thing. We know who the bread of life is. We know who the living water is. That's Jesus Christ. And we want to offer that to you today. So join with us As we go through the Bible, we're now into the New Testament or the New Covenant, and we're going to be studying the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'd love for you to join us or to continue on with us. And so action required. Your Bible won't be read unless you open it up or unless you bring it up on your phone. It won't happen. It's up to you. Don't leave it to your pastor or to your mom or your dad or somebody else. You need to get in there too. And then on Sundays, go and fellowship with your brothers and sisters and the Lord. Absolutely. I want to remind you that 3.30 Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, that's our prayer meeting on Facebook and YouTube, and we will pray for you. If you go there, that's Eastern Standard Time, of course, in the United States of America. So it's prime time in England and so on and so forth, and all the times around the world adjust to it. But we are also on, of course, Bible Discovery TV. Now let's pray today. Lord, help me to see you 
in my work, in my rest, and in my play. Amen.